Well, friends, today we're talking about how to be awesome. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us to Romans chapter 12. If you have your paper Bible, it's somewhere like beyond halfway. And if you have a digital Bible, then you can get to it much quicker than any of the rest of us can. So we'll be in Romans chapter 12. Now, before we go straight into the scripture, I wanted to give you some context. Um, Paul is writing this letter about AD 57 to the followers of Jesus who are living in Rome. And Paul spends probably the first 12 chapters of this letter teaching about salvation, how to give your life to Jesus, also teaching about how to be free from sin, and then what role Jesus had to play in that whole thing. And then on top of that, what role his Holy Spirit has to play in our lives as we are saved and as we live free from sin. And then at this point in the letter where we're going to be today, in Romans chapter 12, Paul begins getting extremely practical as to how we live for Jesus. And he starts off the chapter by urging the Roman Christians to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice and to begin allowing God to transform their minds to becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And then Paul does something really, really interesting. He begins to give advice on how to navigate conflict. And he does this by reaffirming the very real need for humility within the body of Christ, and then by reminding believers that we all have unique gifts and we all have unique talents that God has given us for the benefit of every believer. And it's interesting the way he puts this in verse 5, which says, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member, check this out, belongs to all the others. In other words, there are a lot of reasons we need to figure out how to get along. And it's because we need each other to get the mission accomplished. It's also because we need each other to live the kind of godly lives that please God. And the way we would say it here at Westover is it's because we believe we are better together. And then after this section and the verses that we'll be in today, Romans 12, 9 through 13, immediately following Paul spends more time talking about how to navigate conflict. He says, share with others, bless those who curse you, live in harmony with others, don't be conceited, don't repay evil for evil, don't take revenge, and on and on he goes. So as I was preparing for this message, it occurred to me that what Paul was trying to tell the believers in Rome, and that what I believe that God is trying to tell us today is that we need to figure out this area of relationships. Now, you know what it's like. You have a disagreement with some punk. Because we Christians, we don't like to call them fights. We don't like to call them arguments, right? But this person, they're, they're like your nemesis, right? They're your arch enemy. If, if this were a Marvel movie, they would be Thanos. You already know. You already know. And then... They have the audacity every single year, year after year, of sitting across from you at Thanksgiving. Mm -mm. Don't even play holy. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Or maybe it's that person that you just have so much trouble getting along with, but yet you're being forced to spend time working together on a project, and yet they love Jesus, they're a Christian, you love Jesus, you're a Christian, but if you're honest, you just still hate them. 
I mean, in a Christian kind of way, if that's even a thing, right? And you're just hoping one day that when you step into eternity, that they'll be stuck like on the south side of heaven. <laughs> that way you could really get to enjoy the north side of heaven, you know, and, and you're, heaven's big, so hopefully your paths will never have to cross. Listen, we've all been there. So if you don't mind, let's none of us pretend to be perfect in this area. Let's none of us pretend that this doesn't apply to us because it does. Whether you have kids, whether you don't. Whether you have a boo <laughs> or, or whether you don't. If you ever have to interact with people, then this talk is for you. So here we go. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And I want you to notice, Paul comes just right out of the gate talking about sincerity. He says, love must be sincere. Then he explains a little bit what it looks like. It looks like being devoted to one another and brotherly love. And it looks like choosing to honor one another above yourself. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 says it like this. A lying tongue hates its victims and flattering words cause ruin. And we all know what it's like when we have someone who's being dishonest with us just, so, just to make us feel good, right? Pastor Tito, that haircut, it really does make you look like Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Thanks, man. Pastor Tito, the, those jeans, they really do make you look skinnier. That's great. No, mentiroso. No, it's not. That is not even true. And I think it's important that we just take a moment and recognize that there's a difference between flattery and appreciation. And many of us, we've come from such negative backgrounds that we've worked so hard all of our lives to course correct. And we've worked so hard to overcompensate and be super, super positive all the time. But let me just say this. There's nothing about, nothing honoring about a compliment if you don't mean it. There's nothing honoring about flattery if it just isn't true. And some of us, we've worn clothes that we wish we wouldn't have. We've joined teams we wish we wouldn't have. We've gotten flat tops that we wish nobody had pictures of. We've taken on projects we never should have because of insincere flattery. And hear what Paul is saying. He's just reminding us, if you want to be awesome, if you want to love the way Jesus loved, then make sure your love is sincere because our world can smell fake for miles and miles and miles away. Matthew 5.37, Jesus said it like this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And friends, when we regularly use our words for empty flattery over time, it cheapens our voice and it weakens our word. And then notice what Paul says. Romans 12, 9. Hate what is evil. 
Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. Paul is trying to remind us as followers of Jesus, hate what is evil, but do good. Hate what is evil, but love people. Hate what is evil, but be devoted to your brothers. Hate what is evil, but honor others above yourselves. In other words, don't forget who your enemy is. Yet, we tend to forget who our enemy is all the time, don't we? We think our enemy is our boss when they have a confrontation with us. We think when we face an argument that our enemy is our spouse. We think our enemy is that person who betrayed us. We think our enemy is that coworker that we just can't get along with. But listen, your enemy isn't that person. And when we treat that person like they are the enemy, it becomes exceedingly difficult for us to ever arrive at a peaceable solution. Because we think if we come to a solution that we're shaking hands with the enemy. And that's just not true. Now, they may be a vessel that the enemy is using. And I know that sounds super harsh. And I don't recommend you going up to somebody and saying, hey, buddy, way to let the devil use you today. <laughs> or, hey, hey, brother, I don't think that's the fruit of the spirit I smell. That's the rotten, moldy carbs of Satan, <laughs> right? Don't do it. Now, Jesus did it, actually. Matthew 16, 23, it says, Jesus turned to Peter, looked him in the face, and he said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I just don't recommend you do it. <laughs> I, I just think Jesus had a little bit of a different level of street cred than the rest of us do. But I want you to listen to the advice that Jesus does give us in Matthew chapter 18. If you'll turn there with your Bibles, and if you have a digital Bible, if you'll just make a bookmark there, this is, this is kind of the crux of where we'll be today, Matthew 18. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Now let's notice a couple things here. If someone sins against you, if someone offends you, then the first thing you should do is you go privately to that person. Now, let's just say law on that for a moment. Because here's what you might be thinking. But Pastor Tito, I studied the original Greek. I studied the Aramaic. And from what I, from what I can tell, the, the, the best interpretation of point out the offense when you put it in English is really write a passive-aggressive statement and post it to Twitter or to Facebook. <laughs> no, that's not it, okay? That's not what the Scripture is saying. Go privately and point out the offense. It is not accurately translated to talk to all your friends who you know have your back. Then once you get a little bit more ammo, go back to that guy and you give them the what for, no, what it says is if someone offends you, if someone sins against you, don't work around them, but go to them. Can I be real just for a moment? There is nothing honoring to a person when months and months and months down the road, that person finally finds out that you've been working around them that you've been avoiding them, that you've been talking about the issues you have with them without them. 
This is so big, y'all. And I get it because I hate, I, I abhor, I detest confrontation. I really do. I was a school teacher for three years at this Christian school. And my least favorite thing in the world to do was to call a parent with bad news about their kid. To interrupt some mom or dad that's working so hard and who's been praying all day that their kid isn't setting fire to the school. And then here I am and I have to call that mom or I have to call that dad and say, listen, your perfect son or daughter is going to fail my class. Man, I wouldn't sleep the night before. I would be up on my phone all night in that little yellow notes app, and I would just be typing in what I'm going to say, and then I would delete it. I'm like, no, that's terrible. And I would type it in, I would delete it, and then I'd practice it, and it was just this terrible, terrible cycle. Friends, I get it. But this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus giving advice. This isn't me. And Jesus is basically saying, you've got to stop running your mouth to everybody but the person you have beef with. And I know, I know, I just, I just need to put it on the prayer chain, Pastor Tito. I hear you. But let me assure you, Jesus knew what he was talking about. And Jesus continues saying, once you go privately and point out the offense, not go privately and dance around the offense, not go privately and talk about everything but the real problem, But once you've confronted the issue, once you've hit the nail on the head, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Hallelujah, right? And I wish we could stop there. I wish we could say, all right, guys, go home. It's been a great service. The Bible says if if you just do this, it's going to work out every time. But not so fast, mijito. I'm so sorry. Verse 16, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. I know, not fun, not fun. And Jesus is saying, if you have that conversation and you hit a brick wall and you hit an impasse and you can't seem to move forward, then it's appropriate to bring, then bring someone else into your business. And then verse 17, if the person still refuses to listen, Take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, then wash your hands and treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Man, that is is really not fun. Bringing somebody else into the mix, taking them to a spiritual authority, like it really kind of feels like pulling them into the principal's office. But here's what I want you to see. That these words, these words were spoken by the same Jesus who said, love your neighbor as yourself. These words are just as valid as the words of Jesus when he said, if someone comes and slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to them your other cheek as well. And if that same person wants to sue you and take your shirt, then you need to take your jacket off and give it to them as well. It's the same Jesus who when his disciples came up to him, Peter came up to him and said, Jesus, how often should I forgive people who sin against me? And here's Peter. And he thought he was being like so spiritual because all of his buddies, all of his friends, all the religious people he knew, they would forgive people three times. Strike one, strike two, strike three. You're out of there. Get out of my life. Peace, right? And that was it. And then Peter thought he was being so spiritual. And he's like, 
So Jesus, seven times, what do you think? Seven times? I should forgive people seven times? And then Jesus just looks at him. And I just picture Jesus like, carry the one. Okay, no, no. 70 times seven. You should forgive people 70 times seven. And then Peter's probably like, okay, I quit. <laughs> like, I'm done with this. But here's Jesus. And Jesus is reminding us that we honor his people when we respect his process. And don't miss that. We honor his people when we respect his process. In other words, if someone has deeply offended you, it is right to address it. It is godly to confront it. It is Christ-like to not just let it slide and pretend like it didn't happen, but to deal with it head on. But why is this so hard for us? Because it definitely, definitely is. And I think it has something to do with this. There's this chart from this book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and I think it just explains this point so well. You'll see it here on the screen. And most of you already know this. That at the basis of every good and every healthy relationship is trust. And trust is the foundation that everything else is built on. And you already know what trust is. Because trust is when your besties can tell you that it's okay for someone else to wear that shirt, but it's not okay for you to wear that shirt. And you're not even mad. You're like, thank you for being so honest with me. I appreciate your honesty. Trust is when you never have to worry that after lunch that you still have food stuck in your teeth. Because you know that your best friend, like while you're still at lunch, is gonna be like doing that awkward hand gesture thing, like, no, no, you know, take it out, right? And you know you're gonna be fine, that's trust. And friends, trust only grows in places that we can be completely vulnerable. Trust only grows in places where you're able to not hold back with one another. Where you're not afraid to air out your dirty laundry, to admit your mistakes, your weaknesses, your, confer- your, sorry, your concerns, without fear of reprisal. Without fear that they're going to hold it against you at some point. But the problem is, more often than not, we never get to this place with most of the people in our lives. We're afraid that if we're vulnerable, that at some point this can and this will be used against us down the road. At some point, they will make us pay for it. We're afraid that if we're vulnerable, they will look, that we will look weak in their eyes and we won't look spiritual enough and that they won't want to come to us anymore with their issues. And as a result, we don't want to be a part of a life group. Why, why would we want to gather in somebody's living room and be honest about the stuff we're really going through? We don't want to be part of a ministry team because on a ministry team and someone asks you how you're doing, you can't just be like, I'm good, brother. Praise the Lord. See you later. Because they're going to stop you and say, no, no, no. How are you really doing? And we don't want to address conflict directly because we've been hurt. And the trauma caused by those rare moments when we actually did open up just to get bruised is enough to keep us in constant fear of conflict for the rest of our lives. So what do we do? 
we live in a state of artificial harmony. As long as no one's fighting, as long as no one's arguing or even debating anything, we wrongly believe that it's all good. And so many of our relationships, they are stalled out right there. We know what Matthew 18 says, we should confront the issue, we should confront the person, but because the boat isn't rocking right now, we want to do everything within our power to make sure that that boat never starts rocking. In fact, we'll play along. We'll fake laugh when that person makes a joke, only to roll our eyes after they walk by. We'll agree with that person when they're in the room, only to say how we really feel after they've left. But can I tell you, this is a lonely way to live. To be trapped in your own bitterness and resentment, to hold back so much your opinions, your honest concerns, so much so that you stand up for everything and everyone except for yourself. And as a result, we become entrenched in politics. And I love this definition from author Patrick Lencioni. He says, politics is when people choose their words and their actions based on how they want others to react rather than based on what they really think. And we've all been there. We've been so scared of the fallout that we will not speak. We will not confront the person. We will not deal with the situation because it's easier to fake it than to actually make it work. Friends, but this is what Paul meant in Romans 12, 10, when he said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. You see, Paul never promised that real, genuine, honest-to-goodness Christian community was gonna come easy. And in fact, Jesus definitely never promised that. In Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus begins talking about just what it's like to be a follower of him, just what it's like to be a Christian. And then Jesus gives us these like really, really encouraging words. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. You're like, oh, thanks, Jesus. We're the sheep, the cuddly little furry animals, and, and everybody else has the fangs and the claws and the, oh, 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 Wow. Jesus already warned us that being awesome in our relationships is anything but easy, but it is worth it. And if it's going to work, it's going to take work. Because if we don't, listen carefully, if we don't, we find ourselves over time uncommitted to that relationship. I don't really care about them. They don't really care about me. If they say something that bothers me, I'll ignore it. If they do something that really, really hurts me, I'll just get bitter. And it doesn't really matter to me what happens to them. It doesn't really matter to me what becomes of our friendship. And over time, we just settle. We settle for friendships and relationships that are completely unfulfilling. We settle for boyfriends and girlfriends and spouses and coworkers and friends that at the end of the day, we really can't even trust them. We're too afraid to be honest with them and we sort of just are haphazardly wishing that the issues would go away. But can I tell you, the issues don't go away. Over time, the only thing that changes is how much we still care after all these years. 
And then when that is dried up, well, there's really not much left, is there? But can you, can you imagine? Can you just imagine if every single one of us in this room, every single one of us that's watching online, if we were to make a decision to just take the words of Jesus and take the words of Paul and really, really, really put them into action and really follow this model and this example that we were to be intentional, that we were to choose to be awesome, like Paul talked about in Romans 12, 9, by letting our love be sincere. Not two-faced, not flattering, but authentic and vulnerable in every relationship, with every friendship. Imagine if every one of us were to hate what is evil and cling to what is good by remembering who the enemy really is, but who the enemy really isn't. And then giving them the benefit of the doubt even when they don't deserve it. And then choosing to, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above ourselves. See, this devotion, this is the hard part. This honoring others, this is so difficult. And have you ever thought about this? Being a Christian would be so easy if it weren't for people. No, for real, think about it. Like, we serve a God that we believe is 100% absolutely flawless and perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows the beginning from the end. He loves us all unconditionally. That his mercies are as new as the rising of the sun. Listen, the problem isn't God. The, pro the problem is us. The problem's us. And what we're talking about is just listening to what God is telling us about this situation and actually choosing to work it out with our friendships and our relationships. And that may mean when you leave this place today that you make a really, really tough phone call. It may mean that you shoot somebody a text that you were convinced that you should have deleted their number a long time ago. It may mean that you rearrange your lunch plans so you can sit across from the table somebody that you don't really want to sit across the table from. It means pushing past the artificial harmony by addressing this head-on in a Matthew 18 kind of way. And as you're doing this, may you, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, even when it's hard, even when they say things that aren't true, even when there's disagreement and, and it's burning inside of you, that you would still be joyful in hope that somehow God can redeem the situation, that you'd be patient in affliction, because Lord knows there's gonna be some affliction if you have these conversations, and that you're faithful in prayer and trusting the Holy Spirit to go before you and to begin softening their hearts and working these things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because I believe I so believe that by doing this, this is how we begin to change the world.
by sharing with God's people who are in need. People who need to see real, who need to see genuine, who need to see authentic, because there are so many people on this planet who need to see the followers of Jesus prove that they know what it really means to practice hospitality. And there's just too much at stake if we don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with us. Father, so many of us during this conversation today, we couldn't help but see a name pop up in our memory or see a face come to our mind. And now here we are and we have this gnawing sense on the inside that Maybe, just maybe, you're actually asking us to do something about it. Father, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do. God, in our situations, God, because there's some people in this room that it's not going to be as easy as just a phone call. There's some in this room that it won't be just as easy as a lunch, that it may take time sitting down with a counselor and working through some deep trauma and hurt and pain, and it's not as easy as it seems. But Father, there are others in this room who know that you've spoken to them and that right now you are giving them the wisdom to know what to do. And I pray that you would follow through, God, and you would give them the courage to actually do it. That for those you're speaking about, those that you've given names and people to, God, that you would give them the courage, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and boldness to have honest and real and authentic conversations. To take a bold, faithful step, even when they're afraid. To have a difficult conversation, God, even when we really, really, really don't want to. Because if it's going to work, then it's going to take work in Jesus' name.